So have you guys been watching the news this week? Anything been kind of going on in our country? A little bit of crazy stuff, right? Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And one of the things that I've discovered about this week, and whatever, you know, whatever your political persuasion, it just doesn't matter. You can check that out the door. We're not talking politics here. We talk about Jesus here. And Jesus is, is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords, period, okay? Ain't no donkey, ain't no elephant. He's King of Kings. So, um, but one thing I've discovered about the, our nation, our nation needs peace right now. We're probably more divided and more just, just crazy than I, I've ever seen. And I haven't been around very long, so I haven't seen a whole lot that I've ever seen it. And it's just, it's sad. You know why they talk about the left and the right? You know, the, the liberals are on the left and the, and the, the, the uh, conservatives are on the right. Do you know why they do that? It's because that's the side of the Senate they sit on. The Republicans are on the right and the Democrats are on the left. Now, that's when you're facing the stage. When you're on the stage, it's just the opposite. It's just crazy. We talk about the left and the right. Now, it's location, but it's now become ideology, hasn't it? And so this is what Tara, my kindergarten teacher, says, well, we just need to mix them up. We need to make the Democrats sit with the Republicans, the Republicans sit with, we just need to mix it up. That's what a good kindergarten teacher would say. You bunch, you have to come over here and sit with that bunch. Of right, isn't that a great idea? So I'm saying Tara ought to run for president in 2020. Oh, Lordy, she's going to kill me and kill me. I don't even know where she is, but I, right now I feel it. Focus. Focus, Fox. That's... But we need peace. And where do we get peace? I want to read this to you. This is an amazing passage of scripture. Therefore, since we've been justified by what? What's that word? We've been justified by what? Did you do that? No. Did you earn that? Do you deserve that? No. You've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something. Your mama may be mad at you. Your wife, your husband may be mad at you. Your kids may be mad at you. Your neighbor may be mad at you, but ain't nothing. When God's mad at you, you're in trouble. But when you got peace with God, you got peace. You got peace. I've heard it said in Texas, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? When daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody care. But when God ain't happy... It's just trouble, but he's given us peace by his initiative. We have peace with God through Jesus and through him. Now get this. We've also obtained, obtained access by faith. The same thing that brought us peace into his grace. Grace is the God's riches at Christ's expense. Something we did not deserve. Something we do not earn. He's given us peace with grace. In other words, God is going to put up with your crazy mess because he's giving you his grace. And, and it, but it gets better. Not only do we get peace and we get grace, but it, it, that we stand in grace and we rejoice in hope. And hope is not a feeling or an expectation. Hope is a person called Jesus. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? You are the glory of God. The Bible says that salvation, those who have been saved, is the crowning glory of creation. And we stand in this presence. This is good news. 
that we have peace with God. We have access to grace. We stand in grace. We don't stand in front of him condemned. We stand in front of him the beloved, and we share in the glory of God. But some of us aren't living that way. We're living in condemnation. And we feel the condemnation of others and the, and the gossip and the slander of others. And God says, I'm not condemning you. I love you. Some of you grew up in a belief system that if you messed up, you lost God's grace, and you lost God's peace, and you lost God's favor, and you just lost. But as long as you don't smoke, drink, dance, or chew, or go with women who do, you're fine. And it's all based on keeping rules instead of a relationship with the holy, loving God. Now listen to me. I want to tell you something. I want you to listen to me. You've heard me say this before, but you need to hear it again. Jesus does not condemn you. He takes your sins and he throws them into the depths of the sea. He hides them behind his back. He remembers them no more. Once you've come into relationship with Christ, you are not condemned. You are loved. You are the beloved. He doesn't say, yeah, but you used to, or you once was. He calls you beloved. There's only two entities in all the world who remind you of your past, Satan and your extended family. <laughs> Don't listen to either one of them because you are free in the Lord. You're not condemned. You have peace with God. Now, some of you, that's enough. That's all you need to hear. You can leave, but don't. There's more. There's more. Now, this peace with God starts changing everything, and I don't live condemned. I live in freedom. I live with peace. My heart is swelling with the peace of God. This peace is the gift of God. Now, listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. On the night he was betrayed, the night things were going to get turned over, the night when everything that they knew was going to be flipped upside down and in three days Jesus would come back and Jesus would then change the trajectory of their lives. Once we finish this I Will series, we're going to start another series and it's called Encounters with Jesus. And we're going to show you how Jesus changes your life. And he was going to flip upside down. This is what he said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, Jesus was looking into the future, and he knew that their world would be flipped, but he's saying, I got this. I got this, and I got you. Just relax. Just relax. I got a dear friend of mine, Pastor Les Balmenard. You've heard him. He's preached here. And I would, I would just I kind of get all worked up. I get in a dither and I get frustrated and I, and I get, and Wyatt's back here nodding his head. I get all kind of crazy. And, and Les would say, just relax. And that's what Jesus is saying. Just relax. It's going to be all right. I got this. I got this. You see, peace with God will calm your troubled heart. But you have to access that through a relationship with God. And it changes how I live. It changes how I look at my circumstances and how we relate then to others. It changes me. And everyone in the world is looking for peace, except for those who want to disturb the peace. And the disturbing of the peace is people used by the evil one, not used by the great one, the great I am. And so if this is true, and it is true, 
that shouldn't those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, should we not be the ones who distribute peace instead of disturb the peace? Shouldn't we be the ones who offer hope and life and comfort and care and share the good news of salvation rather than the ones who offer condemnation and judgment? Shouldn't that change us? There's a commandment this day I tie directly to the sharing of the peace, to, to be the person of peace. Jesus said it this, this way. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, let me back up. I didn't put it in the, the slide, but it's in the passage. Right before he says, go, therefore, he says, the Bible says, now all authority had been given to Jesus. And he gives us the authority to go. He says, now go, therefore, into all the nations. And that word nations is really not a complete thought because it means all people groups, all tribes, all tongues, all languages, all people groups. A few years back, I was in Africa at a gathering in Rwanda, or they call it Rwanda. And, and I was looking at this map of the world. In this map of the world, they have pin dots on all the places in the world where there were people groups who have yet to hear the gospel. And there were a lot of them in India, a lot of them in Central Asia, a lot of them in Africa. And these pin dots were all over. And I said, well, surely there's not any pin dots in America. And there was. And it was in Texas, of all places. How can you live in Texas and not hear about Jesus? Isn't that kind of stamped on you when you're born here? But it was a, it, it was a ple- people in, around um, Del Rio area called the Kikapoo Indians. And some of y'all say, yeah, I know where that is. That's a casino there. Maybe you ought to quit go gambling and start sharing the gospel. (laughs) And I thought, maybe maybe there's a mandate here for us. I don't don't know. Um, But I do know this, that when Jesus says all nations, he means everybody. Nobody, there's not a person in the world that Jesus cannot save. Not a person. Not a person baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As a disciple of Jesus, the one who has found peace, then I'm to be the deliverer of peace in a contagious way. This simple assignment of Jesus is really, we've made it complex. And we've, we've kind of, kind of thought, uh, you know, it sounds easy, but it's not easy because this is how we made it complex. There's four things I want you to notice here. That we've outsourced this commandment to the professionals. We said, go into the world and make disciples. You preachers go. Or you missionaries go. And you go and share the gospel. And we'll pay and we'll pray and we'll stay out of the way. You know what that's called? Heresy. Because first of all, as a pastor, I'm not a professional. Somebody said, that's right. (laughs) No, my job is to equip you that you might live all for Jesus. Your job is to live all for Jesus. Now, I model this as I go. I share the gospel. I model this as I live as a man of peace. But my job is to equip you to go live this out in the world. Not to live sequestered in our holy holy huddles, our holy holdups, and focus on ourselves to be a country club without a golf course, and what good is that? To be a kingdom-focused, outward-focused people 
that are looking to be the hope of the world. Huh. And so we've outsourced it. And we've outsourced it to parachurch organizations or other NGOs. We made sharing our faith into a formula that you're going to share the hope of Jesus, you have to do the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or the bridge analogies or faith or life or whatever other kind of evangelism explosion, whatever kind of program you've learned. And it's like we're selling toothbrushes instead of sharing the life of Jesus and the love of Jesus. And it becomes formulaic and impersonal. But that's not the way God had intended to be. Or we're insecure. We believe, well, we've sinned so much and done so much, surely nobody's going to believe us. I heard a pastor say this one time. Now, when you're talking to people about Jesus, don't talk to your family because they know who you are. And some of y'all, yeah, that makes sense. But it doesn't. You should talk to your family first because you found hope. You found life. You're not found perfection. There's nobody perfect in here. We're all broken, aren't we? Look at your neighbor right now and say, you're a mess. Will you do that? That just feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. You say, right back at you, Jack. But here's the deal. God loves to take messes and make them messages. And he makes them holy messages as he works in our life. And we feel insecure. So therefore, God really can't use us because I'm a mess. God can use you, even if you're a dumpster fire. A dumpster fire heats up the room, at least. God can use you. Here's the last thing. We're under-challenged. That as a pastor, and this is my fault, that I'm not challenged you to share your hope, to be a person of peace. I'm not challenged you. I've kind of made you feel comfortable and brought you in and say, don't worry about that. We'll take care of this. And why are we doing this party to celebrate our 134th birthday? Because we want cake? Look at me. I found all the cake in the world already. <laughs> it's not that we need cake. It's a party with a purpose so you could be challenged to invite your friends to come and see, to come and see, to come be with the family, to come be a part of the family. Why did we give you three musketeer bars today? To see if we could throw some of y'all into a diabetic coma? No. We gave it to you to remind you, to remind you there's three people at least in your life who you could talk to and you can make the ask of. And so as you eat your candy bar, it's sweet to share Jesus with people. Now, I've already ate mine. I'll just confess. I got hungry. Wyatt was talking. I, I got a craving flung on me. I ate mine. So I'm obligated to ask three people. So you three, y'all come, okay? I've done it. I feel better. All right. We're under challenge. But this commandment of Jesus really is tied to a threefold strategy. Let me give it to you. We're supposed to be personally responsible to share peace. We're supposed to be responsible for evading the Wimberley Valley through local peace, being a people of peace in this church that peace would come to this valley and that the peace would be used by us to go into all the world, that we'd be people that are responsible for global peace. Now, how do I do this? Personally, I have an obligation to talk to people and share my peace. We have an obligation as a congregation to locally be the dispensers of peace and hope and help to people. And then globally, 
we're supposed to be responsible for engaging globally. I see a day when we have five nations in the world that we're influencing as this church. Now, we got one so far. It's Cuba. Pastor Tom Gillespie is going back to Cuba a week from tomorrow to train 15 pastors we've recruited to be coaches who will train other pastors. And we're going to do this again and again and again. We're going back to Cuba next year, and we're going to train another group of pastors, then we're going to train another group of coaches, and pretty soon they will not need Pastor Tom nor Pastor Scott in Cuba because the Cubans have got it. That is our goal. So the next time Tom and I go back would be to drink rum and smoke cigars, which we're not going to do either one of those that you know about, all right? So that's, that's the goal, is to give this ministry away to the Cuban people because Cubans share the hope with Jesus best with other Cubans, and so that is our strategy to pour in as a church. But this morning, I want, you to, I want us to take this look at this commitment of I will share and make the commitment not only to I will share, but I will be a person of peace and we will be a people of peace for the global glory of God. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're going to say this morning. And I pray that you will just work in my mind, work through my mouth, that the words I speak and the thoughts I think will be yours and yours alone. And you will equip these people as you desire. They do not need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And I thank you for what you're going to do. And I pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen. Now, I hope you take it, gone ahead and taken out your, take the weekend with your notes. So you're taking some notes down. Let me remind you of our online resources. Now we have God time, which is the I will book. Now we've given out or dis- distributed uh, about over 200 I will books. So, so many of you got it and read it. If you have it, you can still get a copy. We can make that available for you that you can read this. And that is for your personal reading time. So you'll have a chance for you and God to let this book soak into you. That's a companion with your Bible readings. Uh, and then we provide for you the group material. That's a deeper dive. And then, of course, our gatherings. So it's God group and gatherings. You saw the video because everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him. Now, last week, I was in Tucson, Arizona. I've been working in Tucson for about three to four years, working with different churches there. And I was over there uh, visiting a friend of ours who's planted a church and doing very well, talking to him about next steps, what they need to do. And I had a chance to, uh, to visit with 20 other pastors. I did a, a, a time, a, a talk for 20 other pastors to talk to them about strategy and structure. And when we go, when I go to Tucson, I'm taking you with me. And I'm talking to them about the strategies we use to build your lives. So it's, it's all a part of what God is doing in us to be a church of peace and a church who brings the, the peace of God. Tucson's a strange town. They got these cacti with all these funny arms and they ain't got no grass. And, but it's mystical and it's one of the top three unchurched cities in the United States. It's a dark city. Interesting, the mountains that surround Tucson, Catalina, and there's, there's mountains around Tucson. I, I can only remember the Catalina Mountains, but they spell the name of Christ. But the city is dark. So we go into a dark place to be the hope of the world. Go in the dark place to build up and equip leaders. So I want you to take advantages of the resources we provide for you as we reach out beyond ourselves. But today I want to talk to you about five global giants 
that are ravishing the earth. Now, we're gonna come up with five global giants, and there's surely more, but we're gonna deal with five today because I want you to see those global giants. Uh, this past year, we went to Israel. And while in Israel, we went to the Valley of Elot. The Valley of Elot is the place where David fought Goliath. You know, Goliath comes out, David kills Goliath. Now, when, Goliath, when David's going to kill Goliath, he collects five smooth stones. If you'll remember that from Scripture, he collects five smooth stones. Now, how many stones did he use to kill Goliath? Why in the world did he collect five? Because Goliath had four other giants. Four other giants. Now, when I wrote my book, Sifted Leadership, I wrote about the, the five giants and the four that was left after Goliath. My editor, who had a PhD in New Testament and a PhD in English, argued with me until I proved her wrong through Scripture. It felt so good. It's the only time I was right talking to her, but I got it right then. But there were four other giants, and all those giants were killed by David's mighty men. And what his collecting of five stones was prophetic for what was to come, because all the giants had to die. So what are the five global giants that are ravishing the earth today? The first is spiritual emptiness. People just are empty. They don't know Christ. Now, there's uh, about two billion Christians in the world out of the seven point something billion people in the world. But there's so many that don't know Christ. Now, there's people that are spiritual. If you go to Austin, there's all kinds of spiritual people. But you have the wrong spirit. Did y'all know that? And they worship things that are not of God, and they worship things that are not God, and they're confused, and they're darkened in their understanding, and their minds get twisted, and they're twisting off, goes down bad roads. You can be spiritual and miss Jesus, but you can't have Jesus and miss the spirit. And so people are spiritual empty, and spiritual depravity and spiritual emptiness is a giant that's ravishing people. And then there's egocentric leaders. Leaders that are more, uh, more worried about themselves and their agenda than anything else that's going on. Did we see that on display this, this week in, in Washington? Where there was egocentric leaders. Several years ago, Tara and I had a chance to go to Congo, to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we were training pastors there. And while we were training pastors there, we created the interest or got the interest of the mayor of Boma, Congo. And so she came to our gatherings here, what I was teaching. And that interest, she, she gathered the interest of the senator who was representing that area of Boma. And he came to hear what we were teaching. He invited us to his house for dinner. And his house, the way he lived, was very different from how everybody else lived. Very different. With multiple cards and armed, gate, armed guards and gates and opulence and a bounty of food. Very different from the people in Congo who were living on less than 50 cents a day. And the attention that the senator got generated the attention of the Minister of Foreign Affairs. And the Minister of Foreign Affairs came to hear what we were teaching. And the Minister of Foreign Affairs' attention gathered the attention of the President of Congo. And the President of Congo invited Tara and I to come see him in the Presidential Palace. And so we went to Kinshasa to visit the President. And we got to the opulent grounds of the palace and we, we went in and of course the president was not available. So we met with his second in command, his chief of staff. And Congo has more natural resources than any other nation of the world. 
more gold, more diamonds, more emeralds, rubies, precious stones, uranium, even deposits of oil. It is filled with, with natural resources. And I said to the guy, second to the president, I said, if you as leaders would stop robbing your people and living in corruption and taking bribes and start caring for your people and leverage the natural resources of your country, your country could lead the world. You leaders have to change. You know what happened? Ended our meeting. Out we went. Peace out, Pastor Scott. Because of egocentric leaders. Now we could judge an African strongman for that, but I'll tell you something. You make somebody the president of the homeowners association, all of a sudden they lose their minds with control. Isn't that true? And so egocentric leaders is a giant. Then there's poverty. People living in poverty. And poverty, well, I'll tell you something, folks. It's not a sin to be poor. But it's a sin to ignore the poor. And we don't know poverty like poverty is out into the world. But poverty in the Wimberley Valley is a serious problem. And most poverty is tied to addiction. It is it's cyclical. It repeats, it repeats, it repeats, it repeats, it repeats. And so there's poverty. Most of the world lives in poverty. And then there's diseases. Pandemic diseases. Diseases that are waterborne because people don't have clean drinking water. Because they just don't know. And they're, they're bound up with, with sickness and diseases. Uh, did, did you know that the children today are dying from malaria? They're dying from dysentery. And there's a disease in this world, in, in our world, in Wimberley, called addiction. And I hate to tell you all this, but this little valley's got a real big problem with methamphetamines and with opioids. I watched a news broadcast that a drug company had sold enough opioids to Florida that everyone in Florida could have 1,000 pills a day. No, excuse me, 100 pills a day. It's still crazy, y'all. Ain't nobody need to take 100 opioids every day. Y'all got that? And so it goes back to egocentric leaders and greed and disease. And then there's the illiteracy. People just don't know. They just don't know. In Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa, there's a problem with a, with a parasite called the New Guinea flatworm. And the New Guinea flatworm is born of human waste and people drinking water with human waste in it or bathing in water with human waste in it. And what that parasite does, it gets in your skin, then it matures, and then it claws its way out of your skin. And as the worm is coming up, this is what they do. They circle it on a stick until they fully extract the worm. Doesn't that sound wonderful? And it's illiteracy that causes it. But people just don't know. Guess what? They found the New Guinea fireworm in the water in Florida. It's made its way here. Hmm. It's just people don't know. And so if everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him, shouldn't we answer the five global giants in the same way Jesus did? Shouldn't we approach the share I will commit to share a commitment the same way Jesus did? How did Jesus impact these giants? What did he do? 
Well, he did this by bringing his peace. P-E-A-C-E. And peace is an acronym for how Jesus went about changing the world. The first thing that Jesus did, he's planted a church. He planted the church. The church was to be the hope of the world. Not the parachurch or the non-government organization, but the church. We are. We are to be the tip of the spear. Now, we partner with NGOs and parachurch organizations that can do what we cannot do, but it should be not us sponsoring them, or it should be them sponsoring us. We're to be the tip of the spear. We're to be the one to take initiative. So in Cuba, it's us going in, and if parachurch organizations want to come and support us, y'all come on. But we want to take the initiative, and we need to be the tip of the spear. So planning, how did Jesus do it? He planted church, and he promoted reconciliation between people. How does Jesus promote reconciliation between Jew and Gentiles? He made us a family. He made us a family. And you know what family does? Family puts up with one another. Family loves each other. Families are committed to be the best for each other. That's what families do. Families do. My brother, Stan, y'all know Stan. He's been here to preach. He'll be back in November to preach again. I'm excited that he's coming back. Stan's birthday was Friday. He's my older brother. So I sent him a message. I say, hey, buddy, happy birthday. I love you. Then I put, you're now old enough to drive a Buick. Because <laughs> he's, uh, he's over 60. It's awesome. I'm not old enough yet. Soon. I'm teasing y'all. Don't, don't be sitting back. Pastor Scott, you should be talking about driving no Buicks. <laughs> Just a joke. But there's reconciliation between my brother because my brother and I belong to Jesus. There's reconciliation with us because we belong to Jesus. That's why last week when I spoke to 20 pastors, there were all kinds of denominations because we belong to Jesus. There was a pastor there from Congo. We bumped heads because that's what Congonese do. They bump heads. They greet you. They bump right. They bump left. They bump in the middle. So we bumped heads. And he goes, oh, Pastor Scott, the lion of Africa. Because we promoted reconciliation. We belong to Jesus. So therefore, we belong to one another. Listen to me, people. Listen to me. The relationships we have in this church family are more valuable than the relationships you have with your biological family. Don't mess with my brother. Reconciliation. Jesus equipped leaders. He spent three years doing that by bringing leaders in. The three, Matthew, uh, excuse me, uh, Peter, James, and John. Then the 12, the disciples. Judas had his hangups. He didn't quite make it. Um, I know. Thank you for that. That he, the 70, 77, the 120, he invested in leaders. He showed them how. He modeled it for them. He displayed it. He taught them. And then, of course, they couldn't get it, so he gave them the Holy Spirit. Just in case y'all forget, here's the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit, aren't you? Because I forget. I need the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives us all of that. He equipped leaders. He assisted the poor. When other people gathered, he took care of their physical needs. He took care of them. He lavished love on them. He didn't have a, a favoritism or a hierarchy. He took care. He assisted the poor. 
that he created the church to assist the poor. Um, he cared for the sick. Y'all, it's not a sin to be sick, but it's a sin not to care for the sick. I love this about Jesus. Whenever he entered a town or a village, they brought the lame, the sick to him that he might touch them and heal them. And he touched them and he healed them. There's an encounter Jesus had with a, with a leper. It's found in the book of Mark. And Jesus has this encounter with this leper. And this leper comes up and, and, and Jesus asked him this question. He said, what do you want me to do? He's a leper. I mean, his disciples are going, hey, you know, I know you're God and all that, but he's a leper. Hello. Ain't called him Debbie for nothing, y'all. He's a leper. And Jesus, Jesus didn't, this Bible says this. Filled with compassion, he touched the leper. We said, what's the big deal about that? Because Jesus was a rabbi, and he knew if he touched the leper, he would have to spend seven days in isolation, that he would be considered unclean. Plus, Jesus, knowing that he was fully man and fully God, he ran the risk of contracting leprosy. But he touched him. When was the last time that leper was touched? Probably long before his diagnosis. And Jesus touched him, and he was healed. And Jesus then isolated himself for seven days because Jesus did not depart from what he knew was right. And having compassion. Our church in Texas, there was a lady she was in my life group, my small group, and we watched her deteriorating. We knew something was going on, and people were talking about her. And finally, she came to me, and her and her husband, and she said, I need to tell you this because I'm dying of AIDS. And she told me that, and I got up off my couch, and I hugged her. And she started crying, and she says, I didn't think you would do that. And I said, I didn't think I would either. But this is what Jesus said. And this was during the time where we really didn't know a lot about this. And so we told our, our life group. And you know what they did? They took everything off the coffee table. They put a chair on the, and they put her up in the middle, a little frail thing. She was about 80 pounds at the time. And they put hands on her. They prayed over her. They loved her. And then we told our church. And our church just loved her and hugged her and cared for her. And she went to be with the Lord. Nobody asked her once, well, how'd you get it? Because it wasn't their business. It's not a sin to be sick, but it's a sin not to care for the sick. And Jesus cared for the sick. And then to educate the next generation. To really take care of our children. To show them a better way. To fill them full of love and, and to hope and to grace and mercy and the peace of God. Now I'm looking at that list of peace, P-E-A-C-E, and I'm thinking, where do I fit in that? Well, I can help plant churches and promote reconciliation. I can do that. I can equip leaders. I know that that's what I love to do, and that's why, what I do, and I love doing that, and, and, and that, uh, this church loves me doing that. I, I can do that. Since the poor, I really, I'm not like my buddy down in Victoria who figured out a way 
to put a drilling mechanism into three suitcases and fly it over to Nigeria, teach those guys how to run that drilling, and they started a business drilling well. I'm not that guy. It's that other guy. I'm not those girls in Victoria, Texas, who taught those other women over in Nigeria how to sew clothing. I'm not that guy, and they started a business selling clothing. I'm not that guy or that girl who taught them how, to, how the widows to make soap so they could sell soap and start an economy. I'm not that guy, but somebody may be that person. I'm not a doctor or a nurse. If you throw up, I'm joining you. If you're bleeding, I say, good luck. See you in heaven, okay? I'm a little squeamish. But some of y'all, in education of the next generation, you give Miss Tara a herd of kindergartners, they'll be a well-organized moving machine. You give me a group of kindergartners, and they are an unruly mob that's going to burn down something. Because they become like their leader. But I bet in this room, some of y'all can do some of that. And probably more of that than I ever thought possible. Because we are the church of the living God, empowered by his spirit, released through his grace to make a difference in this world for the global glory of King Jesus. So we are. So we are. So we can live out God's peace. So I have to become a person of peace. As I was writing this talk, I knew that someplace Jesus had talked about a man of peace, a person of peace, and I couldn't find it. I looked, I I, I Googled it. I I looked on Bible Gateway. I looked in Blue Letter Version. I looked in all my programs, logos. I, I looked for it. I couldn't find it. So when I couldn't, I can't find something, I go to my trusty master study Bible that was given to me when I was ordained as a pastor. It's dog eared because it's old. I mean, they pried it out of Moses' dead hands and handed it to me. And, and I, I love this Bible, and I dug around and I found this passage. Listen to this. And into, and into whatsoever house ye shall enter, first say, Peace be on this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him, but if not, it shall return to you again. You say, well, well, Scott, what does that have to be? I want to be a son of peace. I want to be that person. Peace be on you and on you, my brother. I'm a man of peace. We are a people of peace because we've been mandated by the prince of peace to make a difference in a dark world. So I have to allow Jesus to change my heart. I have to be aware of spiritual needs of people and to see a need and to meet a need, to seize and seize opportunities. Our class we teach in the next steps experience of step out. We give you strategies in order to have your head on a swivel to see and seize opportunities and give you a way that you can share your hope in a non-creepy way because people come to Jesus best on the arm of a trusted friend. They come to Jesus best on the arm of a trusted friend, not through some shady toothbrush-selling slogan or way. They come to Jesus best on the arm of a trusted friend. I mentioned twice already I was in Tucson last week, and I stayed at the same hotel I've stayed at several times before. And so I went for breakfast on Wednesday morning, and the waitress, I recognized her. 
In fact, I called her by name before she walked up with her name tag on. I was glad I was right. I said, good morning, Heather. How are you? She looked at me. She goes, you've been here before. I said, I have, and you've waited on me before. She goes, well, it's good to see you again. And of course, the other, another pastor joined me for breakfast, and our breakfast came, and I said, uh, Heather, we're about to pray. Is there anything I could pray for you for? And I, I learned that from Wyatt. Wyatt's modeled that dozens of times. And uh, she said, yeah, pray that I get a million bucks. I said, well, you ain't going to get a million bucks from this tip. So we prayed for Heather, and I, I gave her a $7 tip because that was the appropriate 20% amount to give her. And so I gave her, I gave her the tip. And then the next morning, we came back for breakfast, and, and I said, so, Heather, how's the million-dollar adventure going? She goes, well, I'm $7 closer. I said, well, I'll tip you some more today. And, um, and then she came back and we were chit-chatting. And then finally she looked at me and said, what do you do for a living? She asked me that. I said, what do you think I do for a living? She goes, I have no idea, but I bet it's fun. I said, it is. I'm a pastor. You're a pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. She goes, I'd have never in a million years guessed. And I said, thank you. <laughs> Bonus. And she says, where do you pastor? So I pastor a church in Texas. She said, well, I'd go to your church. And I said, you can. How? I said, you could go online. Really? I said, yeah. You have trouble sleeping at night? You could come listen to me preach. Put your right to sleep. Guaranteed. You could. And so, and then she looked at my friend Dan. He said, he says, are you a pastor too? She go, he goes, yeah. She said, I'd go to your church too. I said, you can. He's a pastor here in Arizona. She goes, oh, wow. So she kind of left. And then she came back and she brought a blank sheet of paper. She said, write down your web address. Give me your email. Because I want to go online. I want to I go, go to your church. Well, I left her over the $7 tip. Well, she's $14 closer, y'all. But here's the truth. You have to see and seize those opportunities. She may be watching now. I don't know. She may be posting on something on Facebook. He's worse than I thought. <laughs> Who knows? But I do know this, that it's my responsibility to be a person of peace. What if we became a church of peace? What if we decided that we were going to intentionally lean in to people in the world? Listen to what Jesus said. And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock, pointing to himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then we have to allow Jesus to change our heart and to change our trajectory that we are in this together. Our weekend gatherings, our groups, our God time, our parties with a purpose, our ministry. We didn't give you a three musketeers bar just to be cheesy. We gave it to get your head on a swivel, to think about who can I ask? Who can I invite? What is God doing with me? We have so many ministries that are intentionally geared to help people that are struggling. Carpenter's Helpers is a ministry that we have to help people that are struggling with with poverty and just need a hand up. We have car care ministry where we're fixing uh, cars for single moms and widows and just taking care of people. I, I talked to one of our, our advisors and I love our advisors. He came to me and he said, hey, Scott, um, I was talking to a friend of mine at their church every Tuesday. They invite people to come and they meet their needs and then they pray for them. They share the gospel with them. Do you think we could do like that, do that? And I said, absolutely. In fact, I think we could do better. We could establish a place here, a house of peace 
where the underserved and the under-resourced and the people that are hurting or struggling with addictions and brokenness and maybe immigration issues, that we could be people who distribute God's peace on a regular basis. Don't you think that First Baptist Wimberley could be known as a place of peace? That was one yes and three head nods. Don't you think we could be that people? Yeah. That God would so enlarge our hearts and expand our influence that we become that church. Don't you think we could do this globally? Don't you think we could stop outsourcing our responsibilities and take on our responsibilities and say, Jesus, we are yours. And this little church in the middle of nowhere starts making a big difference from a big God everywhere. Wow. Wow. To see and to seize God's opportunities with courage and conviction. Don't you think we could be that church? And it starts with this commitment. I will. Now I dropped my sticker. So everybody bow your head while I reach down and pick this up. Keep praying. Pray some more. Got it. Will you say, I will? And make your commitment that I will be a person of peace. That I will make a difference in this world for King Jesus. That I'll not be focused on myself and my four no more, but I will turn my attention to the global glory of God. That I will see a need and meet a need. I will share my hope. I will be contagious. I will share in the back of the room, we have tables, places that you could jump into ministry. We have a peace table, a local piece, a global peace table. You go by and check and see what we're up to and what God is propelling us for. And I want to say this to you. We've got stuff that we've not even thought about, and it's living in your heart. And together, we could see God do a great thing. If we'll see and seize and decide this is who we are, this is who we'll be. Now, this morning, we're going to celebrate the declaration of us belonging. We're going to celebrate the fact that the Prince of Peace gave his life for us that we might live all for him. And we're going to celebrate communion together. Now, we practice open communion here. That means if you've trusted in Christ, you're welcome to receive communion with us. But if you're not trusted in Christ, this is not for you. That doesn't mean we're being exclusive or condemning. It's just not for you. But here's the good news. It can be. Because today, you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Today, this meal can be for you. It could be your first one. Your first one. And accept the Prince of Peace in your heart. Because you cannot be a person of peace until the King Jesus, the Prince of Peace, lives in you. So let's give your life to him. And let's give this church to him that we might live all for him.